What's happening? Thanks for pushing play. Before we get into the episode, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcasting platform and please leave a five-star rating and review. Let's get the show out to as many other cash flow veterans out there as possible, those who are looking to secede from the current system and change their life one day at a time. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Cashflow Veteran Daily Newsletter. You can find that at cashflowveteran.com and download my latest ebook. Welcome to Cashflow Veteran. This is John, your host. This is for military members, veterans, spouses, and anybody else affiliated with the military. This show is where fighting for your financial freedom is just as important as your political freedom. Let's get to it. What's going on, everybody? This is John with the Cashflow Veteran Podcast. I want to welcome everybody to it. This is episode number 12. The VA home loan is a moral hazard. Now, before we get into all that topic, uh, I want to let you know of a few things that might be uh, coming your way. I did, I did line up uh, some really good guests, uh, people that I've known in my past that I've stumbled across in various ways. Um, and obviously, still, it's mainly kind of a lot of Air Force people because as you get a podcast started or a business started, you start with kind of the people that you know within your network of influence and kind of work your way out there and, and kind of see what happens. And so obviously being an Air Force guy, you know, a lot of the people that I talk to that I know um, that I grew up and the first people that I thought about have certainly been Air Force people. So um, I do have uh, a couple of guests that are both uh, former uh, Air Force officers, former missileers as well. Um, people that I've talked to at length again and again about uh, home, uh, about investing uh, in general, home investing and real estate investing from uh, different strategies of, of house hacking to, to the Burr method. It's called the, the buy, rehab, rent, and refi, and then rent again. <laughs> um, and then you get, you get the benefit of doing a lot of that stuff, which is some really cool strategies to get into. And we'll certainly get there. But I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork of, of this with talking about the VA loan first. Um, and I also have some of my, uh, my real estate mentors that are going to be coming on uh, during this month as well. So we're going to get a lot of really good real estate investing. Uh, but I did want to address something, obviously, from a libertarian perspective, because that's one of the things that I do. I want to shake up your thinking a little bit and start getting you think a little bit bigger uh, and making sure that you're controlling how you're getting income, making sure you're actually doing the work in order to control the streams of income that you're going to be getting in and why you should be thinking quite a bit beyond uh, what you're already doing. Cause I'm just going to tell you that that pension that you're hoping for at 20 years and maybe the money you've put into TSP and hopefully the medical care that you're going to be getting down the road, uh, with TRICARE, hopefully that kicks in for you. And honestly, you know, it, it's worked well for my dad, but my dad's still been in debt basically since his junior year in college. And I don't know that he's ever been out and of course he's needed that, but he's also been able to do, you know, other things with it, unfortunately, that. Um, you know, hasn't quite set up some of the other things because it just, you have that backstop there of medical care and some other stuff. So instead of actually being preventative in how you go about it, instead of actually having to feel some of the cash burden, uh, which are some of those mechanisms that when you think about it, if you had to pay for more medical care, you likely would actually take a lot more seriously rather than having a catch-all insurance that's supposed to just make you healthy or give you a magical prescription that's going to make you better if you actually had to pay with it in your pocketbook, 
you probably would think a lot more about the preventative care, the preventative things you might do with your life. Same thing with taxes. You'd, you'd get really upset if you actually had to pay a tax bill uh, out of hand, which is why they go through inflation, which is why they have access to all that stuff up front anyway. Uh, one of the other things too, um, so I wanted to bring on other common objections to libertarian thinking from other veterans and stuff that I've come across, people that I work with, people that uh, I've, I've experienced online. So I want to bring some of that conversation in because I know that is also out there. Um, so while I certainly want to talk to those issues and I think they're important, uh, just keep in mind that I'm always trying to point in the direction of making sure people are successful in what they're trying to do and whatever. I'm trying to, I'm trying to push people into starting a new venture, trying to push people into thinking about capturing money in a way that, that actually helps them uh, achieve their goals. It doesn't mean that they need to be the uber rich person. It just means that they need to make sure that they're controlling where they're getting their income, their income from, how they're getting their income and how they use it. That way they have that autonomy, that choice uh, in order to actually impact their lives and the lives of those people around them. So uh, also, one of the things that we'll get into as far as real estate investing with one of the interviews was you really should be working in, in your unique ability. And honestly, uh, it's really hot right now in my house. And we had the uh, heating and air company come by today, kind of talk with my wife a little bit while I was at work. But uh, apparently, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on. I thought my wife, my daughter had turned off the thermostat. And I thought for some reason, somehow, some way, she broke it just by touching the thermostat. I didn't think how that could be possible, but turns out it wasn't her fault. So honestly, it's probably my fault because I didn't understand how often I needed to change my filters, especially when it's 90 degrees outside for two months in a row. And you actually need to change that filter out basically every single month to make sure you actually have a really nice filter. And so I guess it started working slower and slower and slower to the point that it caused uh, some, of the, uh, some of the coils and stuff inside the system to freeze because it's not pulling in enough air because it's so congested at the filter itself. So I'm not a heating air person. So again, you should stick, if you're going to get into real estate investing, stick to your unique ability. If you're a hands-on type of person, maybe that's where you need to be. You know, if you're, um, you know, if you're somebody that doesn't want to do with that, if you're somebody that wants to build a business system uh, where you should be able to do everything from your phone while you're on the beach, there's ways to do that. And there's people that actually do that. Uh, if you want to build one where you're a lot more hands-on and you're actually fixing toilets, fixing uh, heating and air, you're actually building houses, you're doing additions. Uh, we, you know, we know some people, some Navy people here, they're actually going to come take a look at, uh, at our house to see what additions we could do. And we're just going to get their perspective on it. Might even just pay them to do it. Uh, they're certified contractors in their part-time. And that's one of the things that they enjoy doing. So again, stay in your unique ability, no matter where, where that is. Uh, but more specifically, it's for real estate investing as we get talking about it. Uh, you know, my, my folks are actually uh, intellectuals. and That's kind of the path that I was kind of put on, you know, college grads. And it's like, you should, you know, get good grades to get into a good college. Once you get to college, make sure you continue to get good grades, build good relationships. That way you can go get a good job. Once you get a good safe job, you can work for them until you get a pension and then you can, you know, retire for and then live on a fixed income, I guess, for the rest of your life, um, which is kind of in my mind, somewhat of a sad existence. Not that I'm totally, totally knocking it, but um, certainly was kind of the path that I was on, but uh, it's not the path that I found out that I wanted to be on. So I'm jumping off that path, even though it did take a quite a bit of a financial hit for me to actually get out. Plus there's other principled type stances that I took as far as becoming more anti-war. So uh, one of the last things I want to talk about real quick is, uh, you know, if it does sound like I'm in a war zone right now, and I don't know if you happen to hear uh, some of the other items that just went off, I guess, but, uh, 
it is Nebraska at the beginning of July. So that means as soon as the firework restrictions are off, uh, kids go crazy. People go crazy, lighting stuff off. Um, one of the coworkers I have literally every single year has a gigantic celebration of fireworks, which apparently is something to witness. Uh, so I'm hoping that I can, that my wife and I will be able to go out there this weekend and see it because apparently it's pretty amazing and pretty astounding. So, all right, with all that being said, with some of the just silly talk up front, um, I wanted to get into it. So I know that I'm gonna be the guy that says it and you'll likely think that I'm absolutely crazy for saying it, but yes, I think the VA home loan for purchasing a new home, no matter where you're PCSing to, whether you're retired or whether you're somewhere else, I, I think it's a moral hazard. And in fact, I think so is the FHA loan. So I know what a lot of people are thinking, it's like, how could a, in today's dollars, in today's system, how could a normal person even afford a house at these prices that keep going up without saving 20% down? Like how, how is it possible that I could save 20% down right now? That's going to take me years in order to be able to do that. And you're right, it will. But I will tell you that a lot of the people that actually go with a less debt strategy than a no debt strategy, even though they sacrifice for years in order to do it, they are put in a very, very good position today. And I actually ran across a good friend that works for or works with my wife and actually just PCS out of the area. Um, and I was talking to him and he has all of his rentals are 100% debt free and they do very well for themselves year in and year out. Now from a, you know, they wouldn't necessarily be borrowing money from somebody in order to do that because they're probably not going to get the return uh, if you're doing investing or and obviously they could have leveraged themselves and try to maximize the amount of cash flow and everything else because that's what everybody in a lot of cases is told to do. But sometimes maybe the more conservative approach might be better. So one of the things I want you to do real quick is to think about your experiences in PCSing in the areas that you've moved to overall. Actually, before we get to that, sorry about that. So you know, how could a normal person afford prices these days with saving 20% down? Like how could you even get there? And that's absolutely a good question. And this also gets into the libertarian idea of what is seen versus the unseen, which Henry Hazlitt addresses in his brilliant book and very easy to read, but very methodical in the way he goes out called Economics in One Lesson, which is free to download. You literally can Google it, uh, free Economics in One Lesson book uh, and find it. I can't remember exactly where some of it is. It might even be on Mises.org as a free download as well. Mises.org actually has a ton of libertarian literature, 100% uh, for free. Um, even though you could go buy the book if you really wanted it out in uh, on Amazon or at a at you know, local bookstore or whatever, you certainly could find a lot of that stuff there. And they're not going to maybe have some of the newest books, but certainly a lot of the stuff that are in the libertarian canon, you're going to be able to find almost for free at Mises.org. And not even just that, but if you go to Mises Institute on your podcasting platform, at least I know they're in Apple Podcasts, you're going to be able to find a ton of those books on tape. So they actually will have recordings of all that stuff that you can do through a podcast, which is awesome. It's how I got a chance to actually dive into a lot more literature when I wasn't able to read as much with time. So I'd use that time in my car to actually listen to a lot of that stuff and let that just soak in uh, to my brain as well. So again, think about your experience in PCSing and the areas that you've moved to. Do you believe that the average house payment or rent payment that a local citizen, a local person that's not in the military is more 
or less than the average monthly cost of owning a home. And here's where it gets a little interesting because everyone says you should possibly buy a home. There's the myth out there that we should be owning homes. And in reality, as Douglas French goes into, is that the myth of home ownership in this country was actually specifically perpetrated by the government, the banking industry, and the real estate industry as a means of getting more men who are coming back from war to build more homes. And especially once they saw the sheer amount of baby boomers and everything, they sold the idea and were able to profit off of the growing population of rapidly expanding one, coming out of war, being one of the only people who can actually export uh, labor and other things in the world that basically was broken, at least in the Western world, and being able to build companies and actually do a lot of that stuff from the World War II generation and the following baby boomers as well, where you're able to build the picket fence, the house with the picket fence idea, that the mortgage really becomes a huge factor here as well. The VA loan becomes a factor for a lot of the military members that are coming back from war around this time as well. And so that starts a, a cycle of the American dream, and at least what we know as the American dream today. But one of the distinctions we need to make about BAH, the, the housing allowance that military members get that is 100% tax-free is that it's calculated off of a, a variety of factors. And in fact, owning a home, the cost of owning a home is not factored into BAH. And from my perspective, it shouldn't. The way that they do it makes a lot of sense to me uh, to make try to be as equitable as possible. But here's a definition from the DOD Defense Travel website about BAH. So BAH is a US-based allowance prescribed by a geographical duty station, pay grade, and dependency status. It provides uniform service members equitable housing compensation based on housing costs in the local housing markets within the United States uh, when the government quarters cannot or won't, will not be provided. So BAH is based on rental market data of a geographical area, not mortgage information. The rates are computed using the current median market rents and average local expenditures on their utilities, their water, their sewer, their heating and fuel uh, for each of those local markets. And it's going to fluctuate on those costs. And so those things tend to uh, fluctuate year to year. And it goes into this big you know, calculation that they do. And, and they'll go in and they have auditors that will go into different places and do it. And they'll also do somewhat of a cost of living adjustment. Uh, occasionally every year, just like they do for base salaries for a lot of people to keep up with inflation. Uh, so again, it's based on rental data and a homeowner's monthly mortgage payment is not used because the monthly cash outlay for a homeowner is not a good indicator of the actual economic cost of homeownership a lot of times. The variables needed to actually compute a lot of that is difficult to actually measure all of that um, as expected appreciation in the value of the home uh, of the residents, the amount of down payment, the opportunity cost of the interest for the down payment, settlement cost, the tax savings due to interest and tax payment deductions. Therefore, BAH reflects the current rental market conditions, not the historical circumstances surrounding various uh, mortgage loans. And it also goes on to say that these are income-based minimum housing standards used to establish the link between housing cost and pay grade. And of course, members are not limited to the standard and are free to choose where and how they live. However, um, they are tied to that one duty location. 
Actual members' choices, however, do not influence the rate calculation. So if a person basically decides to live 30 minutes away because it's cheaper, um, or they live 30 minutes away in a more expensive neighborhood, they don't get more BAH because they choose to go live there. It's just based off the duty station, which most people, you probably already know that that's kind of how it's laid out for people. So it's based on the rental data that's there. And I, honestly, we went through a little bit of the mortgage data that's there. And so those, when it's talking about all that, it's talking about, you know, you can't necessarily take somebody who, yeah, they might get a 0% down loan. They might get a 5% down loan versus somebody who's getting, you know, 20% down. The monthly mortgage payments on that are going to be vastly different. Plus there's also a way, which I'm going to get into, that you can actually get a home equity line of credit in the first lien position. So you eliminate your mortgage altogether and actually get a line of credit for the entire house. And you can even purchase with something like that, which we'll get into in a later episode of why that might actually be one of the best things you could do, um, at least from my perspective, on how it can actually accomplish multiple goals at a time. Um, let's see, what else? So one one of the hard things that I have about getting into the BAH is obviously people try to buy within the BAH that they're at and they know that that can fluctuate year to year, but they're not factoring in other things that are going to come along with it, which is why I start believing that it's much more of a moral hazard to do it. Now, I get the argument that people make that, well, if I'm just renting from somewhere, I'm throwing money away. And that while that may be true to a certain extent, I would argue that if you are using every bit of that money that you're given in housing allowance, if you're using all of that, then yes, you're going to be throwing a ton of it away. But you don't have to use all of it if you can live somewhere uh, not on base and actually collect and being able to pocket some of it to actually go use somewhere else. Now, do I necessarily think that you should still go do that? No, not necessarily. And we'll get into this in, in, in a second. So people tend to make their decisions based on their monthly income rather than actually looking at the long-term cost of doing something. When they buy a house, they're looking at what their month-to-month -month outlay is. When they're renting, a lot of times, they're looking at what their month-to-month. -month. When they're getting a new car, it's how much will the loan payment be and can it fit in my monthly budget? They're not looking at the overall uh, annual outlay for themselves. And they're also not looking at the depreciation over, let's say, five years of a car. And they're not looking at the possible appreciation or depreciation of a house uh, depending on what neighborhood it's in. You might buy thinking it's in a great neighborhood. I mean, I can tell you that a lot of people look like geniuses who bought in 2011, 2012, 2013. Uh, you know, certainly in California, one of the nice things was the cherry on top. And again, this is a dumb, this is a really stupid strategy to use as a real estate investor. It's not investing. It is just mere speculation and you're just you know, you might as well just throw up a prayer, throw up a wish, cross your fingers, do whatever, because it has nothing to do with anything else but the actual market. You might have guessed right at the time, but I can promise you the people who bought in 2004, five, and six who thought it was a great idea looked like total fools when it came down to 2007 and 2008. So if, if you happen to buy a property, so we bought one property in California in 2015, and we ended up selling it in 2018 in three years, and we actually made uh, a little bit of money off of it because the 
the house basically went up in about forty-five to fifty thousand dollars in value in that three-year period. Which, oh my gosh, that's that's crazy. That's great. Well, the reason why is because of all the bad policies in that local area. You couldn't build a whole bunch of stuff that's there. Um, there's housing restrictions all over the place. There's a lot more demand for housing than there actually is housing. And because you have all the other subsidies, then you also have a price increase of all that stuff, which also then prices out the very people that you are trying to help with subsidies and everything else. And you're actually creating a worse situation by increasing the cost of home buying by actually trying to help out the poorest among you. And I know that sounds totally counterintuitive, but if you actually just let the market help and keep it and allow it to actually be consistent without handing out a bunch of money to people that you don't think can afford it, you're actually going to find that more people as they strive to actually get into better situations, that the cost of those things would actually likely be down if you're allowed to do more building, if you are allowed to actually uh, disincentivize people from getting loans that they're not really putting anything down. I mean, if everyone had to put down 20% on home loans, they would actually be more encouraged to save, which is a good thing. It's the basis for investing. It's the basis of a healthy economy. And overall prices on houses would be down. So you're actually trading. This is where the seen and the unseen comes in. If you are giving 0% loans and 3.5% loans to people, you are driving up the cost of real estate. If you're shutting off the amount of houses that people can build, you are also restricting the supply, even though the demand is growing, which also increases the prices. But then the more that you actually give help for people, whether those are subsidies or whatever, to buy and encourage them to buy with zero or little down, you're again, going in that cycle of increasing the cost of everything, which still actually from a month to month perspective, still has people living paycheck to paycheck and paying exorbitant amounts from month to month uh, in housing costs, which is crazy. That, that's part of the problem when the government and, and the banking industry lobbies for this type of stuff to actually happen. This is why uh, we shouldn't, this is why having a federal standard for mortgages and having a VA loan isn't always a good thing. So does the DOD spend billions in communities and localities? Yes, it does. But is that a good thing? So again, the, the issue for this, even though it might be through housing, it might be through just the presence of military and their income putting into the service economy that's there, or the building economy if the houses are getting built or they're buying houses and stuff like that. So is the economic input from a military base to a local region is not it's important to remember that it's not a natural free market decision of that local economy. Therefore, if a locality or a region has military employment as the main driver, if it takes up the majority, whether that's anywhere from 30 to 40 to 50, maybe even 60% of a local income, it's in the local economic input or, the, or the, uh, one of the largest employers of the local community, while that seems great on its face, and I promise you politicians will pitch that over and over and over and over again because they get you know kickbacks and they get uh, the ability to have more money dealt putting from they get more federal money put into their state into their local uh, place because of this but the problem is is that the more money and the more economic put input that it has the greater impact that it has that also means the greater the distortion of true pricing actually is so we can see this again in the housing sector where a majority of locals live whether that's rent or buying especially in they tend to live in older neighborhoods they tend to live a little bit cheaper their income doesn't necessarily match there's a 
much more of an income disparity between uh, job roles and job titles. So even though uh, certain jobs on base versus in the local community might make about the same, you're probably going to have more people on base doing that job and less people in the local community doing a very similar job. And so that creates a little bit of an income disparity, which also probably means that your professionals, your local, uh, the, the military people who are living there are probably going to be living at a little bit higher standard than a lot of those other people. Sales and marketing is one of the most important things for you owning or starting a business. In fact, when you're starting a business, you wear every single hat. And the thing is, is we actually sell, influence, and market things every day by the types of shirts we wear, the shoes we wear, the watches we wear, the cars we drive. I mean, you name it, we are constantly advertising for someone else. Now, rather than just taking a whole bunch of different personality tests that are out there, some are obviously more scientifically valid than others, one of the best things that I did for myself was taking Perry Marshall's DNA marketing test. It answered the question, should I be writing advertising shop copy? Should I be trying to do face-to-face -face sales? Should I try to do webinars? Should I try to produce more video content, doing audio content? Should I try to get into negotiations? Should I take the time to be a website designer? And one of the crazy things that I found was I should be talking to people. I should be getting face-to-face -face and I should be doing copy. And that's why I do my email list every single day so that I can practice something that I'm already ready to do. And the fact is, I figured that out. As soon as I took this test, I thought about all my pr previous experience. It's why I enjoyed doing instructing within the Air Force for so long. It's why I enjoyed uh, my political science major in writing persuasive papers and actually why I actually enjoy getting in front of other people and discussing ideas and having very healthy debate with people about it. It's why I enjoy doing that. And honestly, when I took this test, my score is 7947. And you know, that means nothing to you. I just know specifically what I'm supposed to be focusing on as a sales and marketer has actually made it much more enjoyable as I've started building my business. So with that, go to cashflowveteran.com slash marketing DNA. Take your DNA test today so you know exactly where to start. And don't focus on the things that you're not good at. Focus only on the things that you're good at to get your entrepreneurship message out there. So because BAH is intended as a rental metric, we must look entire, entirely at the median income of locals versus the military and what the median purchase housing at any given area. So it stands to reason that because the general demand is greater due to the military presence that the housing demand <clears throat> sales prices are higher than what the market truly would bear without the military economic input. More than that, military members and veterans benefit from having a 0% down VA loan that makes them more likely to buy something in a geographical area which increases demand even more. The same goes for civilian population or anyone else who, who has access to FHA loans for 3.5% down. By allowing more people to buy without having the incentive to save 20% or have creative financing available or even readily practiced like lease options, which is like a rent to own contract or a rent to purchase contract or a lease purchase contract, you ensure banks maintain a monopoly on mortgage financing. And it's exacerbated by artificially low interest rates set by the Federal Reserve. 
and this will continue to go down and, and likely we'll see historic low mortgage rates in our future because the Fed will likely push for negative, uh, a negative federal funds rate, which is one of the mechanisms that they actually use to control the rate of inflation or to be able to fund bailouts. Now, the Fed doesn't necessarily fund bailouts. It's, it's a mechanism between the relationship with the uh, Treasury and the Fed, basically, in order to create this money to give it to the government, they have to buy a whole bunch of Treasury bonds, uh, but they have to create that money out of nothing. And one of the ways that they're able to do that is basically then to create more money, which then allows bigger banks to go offer loans to other people. And because it's on paper as money, uh, they're allowed to then up the ante with it. So this is the rate at which banks trade with the Federal Reserve and trade with each other. Uh, or they're going to end up through this process, they're going to be monetizing more debt and actually printing ourselves into oblivion as they seem to be hell bent on doing. So if you wonder why housing prices continue to climb and crash, it's because of this reason. It's because of the money printing. It's because of the relationship of the pseudo private Fed with the Treasury Department and actually making sure that they're controlling the rate of inflation and also bailing out big banks when uh, apparently the big banks need it. If you wonder why housing prices again uh, continue to climb, it's, it's this one particular reason. And because people are incentivized to go into more debt, they're also penalized for saving. I went into this as an example in one of my other podcast episodes last about the car, about how if we go into the negative interest rate territory, not only is inflation going to continue to rise, but the fact that you're penalized at the savings rate level, you actually have to then save more. You're actually coming up thousands of dollars short because of the impact that compound interesting will have in the negative direction if you actually have to pay the bank to keep your money. And you had asked the question of like, why would I pay the bank to keep my money? Why would I even keep money in my savings account or my checking account? Well, that's because everyone is so used to it. Our entire system is built around this principle of using these banks with the checking and the banking uh, and the savings portion of it to, to do this. And well, maybe at that point, you should just start putting cash in your uh, it might be very likely that if the negative interest rate goes down too low, that, you know, it might be better to put a whole bunch of cash under your mattress or bury it in the yard or something like that as you save the money to actually go do something. It might be more beneficial to do that, except when they want to start banning cash altogether and actually hurting people that use cash. And so every, every year that goes by, your cash will actually be worth less and less specifically if you're going to use cash. They might add a surcharge or they might add another fee on top of that as a way to phase out cash altogether. And these are things that are, that are currently being talked about. So I certainly don't want you to, to think that I'm talking out, out one side of my mouth like I don't know what I'm talking about. And I certainly can go into this a little bit more. But these are things that are being talked about right now uh, especially like how would you get your UBI? How would you get your universal basic income? There's already ideas that are, that are coming about that maybe you should have somewhat of a bank account that's attached to your social security number and how you actually receive money uh, from uh, the government, especially like if you're going to get a bailout again, you have to prove to them that you actually have this account set up in order for them to do it. And they're not just going to give you cash. They're not going to just send you a check. You have to have this debit card or this certain bank account in order to do that. Um, 
and that's one way that they can keep it in ones and zeros rather than actually having cash. And the thing is, is I believe there's it's one we only out of the entire economy that we have less than a percent I think is actually in cash even though you see cash every single day the amount of money that's out there the trillions and trillions of dollars we only have a percent of that actually in physical cash circulation so that's something to think about um, and we can get into runs on banks and a whole bunch of other stuff honestly you can read uh, a whole bunch of other books that I have for you so uh, you know everything from the skyscraper curse to how the skyscraper scraper curse to how banking privatized banking really works to the everything bubble. And they'll go into this concept. Each one of those will talk about this concept specifically. So what I want to get into now is a little bit more of the, why I think this is quite a bit more of a moral hazard than people think it is and how the system is kind of set up, whether that's intentionally or not. So the average tenure of a homeowner is five to seven years, although in the last probably a couple of years, it's climbed up to eight years. So five to eight years is the amount of time somebody stays in a home or owns a home. Now, you know, as a military person, that you're moving 10 to two years, four years, five years, maybe somewhere, probably five is really on the end, but typically three, uh, depending on, so we'll say two to four. But if you were to type into a mortgage calculator or a truth or look at the truth in lending statement, you'll see that the bank actually makes 60 to 80% of the value of the home through interest payments. And because it's a mortgage structure, you'll pay almost 50% of the interest in the same five to seven year period. I want to say that again. The bank will make 50% of the interest payments in the first five to seven years. It seems to me that it's a weird correlation that the amount of time you spend in your home is also the same amount of time that they make the most money. I'm not denigrating people that make money per se. I'm denigrating people who go to the government to create institutions that strictly try to seg segregate you from your money. And this is why I say VA loans are a moral hazard because you can only, you're only saving grace is that you live in a locality that has great appreciation. Again, that's a dumb, terrible investing strategy as many military members and veterans and Americans found out again in 2008, 2009. Part of the problem is that people look at a house and think that if they buy it, then hey, it's an asset. And we talked a little bit in my last podcast, you should treat your skills and ability to work as one asset and your investments and your cash flow management strategies as another asset, basically building your own bank and building your own uh, work force, using your skills, using your tools, using your employment in a way that gains more skills and makes you more valuable. So in fact, you should treat yourself, yourself and your life like a productive company, just as Douglas McCormick talks about in his book, Family Inc. When you develop your family business balance sheet and you slap your mortgage on there, you'll find out very quickly that it's in the liability column. A house strictly is not an asset. Yes, there are benefits to being a homeowner that, that the tax code lays out, but it comes at a cost as well. The cost of ownership, the maintenance, the repairs, the capital expenditures, all of that stuff. Now, some people may relish that, love it, but again, it's not putting cash in your pocket. It is not strictly an asset until you put it to use. So if the government tells you that it's good for you and provides a tax incentive, what I can say is just assume that if it, it can benefit you, but it means also to benefit the lobbyists and the industries that ask for the tax code to be written in that way in the first place. The banks make a killing off of separating you from your earned income. The government gets a run at your paycheck first, then your bank gets a run at your housing costs, whether you're renting or not, and makes money even every month 
on mortgage payments, but incentivizes you to become an owner. As many people as possible with programs and tax incentives, that's how they get to you. But many of those incentives you'll only see as adjusted taxes at the end of the year, which when comparing yourself to the Joneses next door that are renting might seem like it's a great in comparison. So you're making out like a bandit because you have a whole bunch of standardized tax deductions and you might get a little bit more. And honestly, some cases you might get a lot. Some cases it might be a few thousand dollars. And hey, I'm not knocking getting your money a few thousand dollars back from the government. I'm not knocking that. Just remember that you gave the, the government that thousand dollars as a, as a 0% interest loan. But I think this is also a false comparison because you're, you're getting both, you're, you're both getting screwed by the banks and the government that have incentivized the spending and the borrowing and the saving uh, or saving and investing. Yes, you have agency to choose something different and find a way that doesn't keep you in turmoil of debt, but it, it will directly go against the incentives that, that they have laid out for you. So if the average tenure of a homeowner is five to eight years and the banks make over 50% of their income on interest payments in that same five to eight years and you pay zero to 5% down, your typical break even point when you go to sell will occur within your years five to 10, unless there's a significant appreciation in your local market. So how to create more demand. So you got to lower interest rates. The, they will try to give you more benefits, more tax incentives, more subsidy programs. They increase the buyer pool by lowering, lowering application standards. They implement rent control, housing development restrictions, all of these things that we've kind of already talked about. And these policies correlate to the rise and the fall of home prices, some more directly than others. But in order to keep it going, uh, banks are incentivized to keep lending out money out of the fractional reserve banking model. They must give loans in order to make money. And each subsequent year, they must give more loans to keep up the pace of profit and to keep, uh, to keep with or outpace inflation, which has also increased um, even with the lag time because, directly because they've been bailed out in the past and they're going to anticipate getting bailed out again or finding another way to make sure that they're taken care of at the expense of uh, their shareholders and other people who are their customers. There's a direct correlation with inflation and the increase of debt, whether it's personal, corporate, or government debt, as one increases, the other must expand as well. This growth is absolutely unsustainable, and the responsibility lies at the feet of the Federal Reserve, the major banks, and the U.S. federal government. The next bubble to burst, and the one that is bursting, no matter the band-aids we're trying to put on it or the propaganda for the reasons you could put in COVID, COVID-19, is is actually a function of the corporate and the government bond market. We've expanded that. And again, everything bubble talks about that. And it, it, I think it provides a, a fantastic case for the, in, uh, how they use these highly regulated industries in order to segregate people from their money to do that. Today, we are not seeing unrestrained capitalism doing this. We didn't see it in the past. We haven't seen unrestrained capitalism causing booms and busts ever. We're seeing cronyism from large corporations in collusion with the federal government and the Fed and the U.S. Treasury, which are now directly buying private debt, which means companies are now partly owned by the government. This is not a free market in the slightest, nor has it been for a very long time. In fact, it never truly has so long as corporations close to power continue to ask special favor and treatment from the government with people with power. I don't think the government can ever be independent of this. I don't care what system you put in place, the government will not be independent of this. It will choose 
winners and losers for whatever moral reason that you might have, whether you're a Marxist, whether you're a socialist, whether you are a Christian conservative trying to impose your values on other people, the government, whoever is in control, whoever is the person that's deciding what laws are going to be implemented, it is going to have their moralistic tendencies. And in a lot of cases, they're not going to let people just live and let live. So let's get back to real estate for a second. So you'll likely lose more money as a military member through ownership than through winching. Now, this isn't always true. This is a case by case basis. This is locality by locality. This is person by person, how smart you are with it, how diligent you are, how you're living under your means. But by and large, if you're just looking at it like most people, you'll tend to actually lose more through ownership than you will through renting. Yes, you'll get some of the benefits. But especially if you, like other veterans and military members, move every two to four years, you'll find yourself as an accidental landlord with a mortgage payment that barely covered the rent. And because you don't know about being an investor or a landlord, typically, you will quickly find out there is a ton of risk and you're at even more risk with a high debt load on your investment because of the VA loan. But my rent payments are $1,500. My mortgage is $1,200. See, I'm cash flowing $300 per month. That's $3,600 per year. Indeed. Congratulations. Are you factoring in the cost of management, which is 8 to 10% of your rent typically? Fine. You don't want to do property management? Great. Good luck to you. How about the cost of annual maintenance and repairs? Are you putting aside 3 to 5% every month or more? What about the home warranty? Did you decide to go with one that could be $50 to $75 per month? Or, and, and does your tenant and property manager actually understand the procedure to initiate a home warranty service order so that you're not stuck with the bill if they don't follow it? What about capital expenditures, roof replacements, concrete uh, window replacements, other items that your warranty won't cover? What about a tenant and their, the related damage that they might have? Sometimes you get fantastic tenants. Sometimes you're going to get terrible ones. Do you have the cash reserves to handle the vacancies based on the vacancy rate of your property, the local area? and what demographic your property caters to. And I'll give you one example, which is very common. So if you have to replace a roof and you're only making $50, let's say up to $300 in cash flow, your profit will probably get eaten up very quickly with large major capital expenditures. Have you planned for those expenditures and the remaining useful life? Have you act, do you actually know when you're gonna have to replace those large expenditures, your roof, your uh, the sidewalk, the uh, the fencing, I mean, you name it. This is one reason why I think getting into the VA loan on active duty, you need to read things about becoming a landlord, about being an investor, the cost associated with selling in the future to determine whether you should be buying the house at the current price today. I think you, when you look at it, you should be buying a house based on a cash flow outlay that you can project at least over the next few years and totally exclude the idea of appreciation from it altogether. The question would be when you go to buy, does it cash flow? And because VA loans have to have a VA appraiser and have to live up to certain standards, the likelihood of you being able to find a house that cash flows in certain markets as the prices continue to increase for all the reasons we've talked about, I find that is going to be a very hard sell which means in order to find the right properties, you're probably not gonna be able to use a VA loan to begin with. And one of the guests that I talked to, one of my good friends, he talked about, yeah, he got into it that way a little bit, but he also lived like no one else. He lived like a, he lived off of $1,250 a month as a single dude in Montana. Uh, he drove just a terrible car to, for Montana, but he owned it. 
And he did that for a few years so that he could live like no one else years later, which he was able to do, which he was able to put a ton of money down to buy three different properties in one year and also take that $1,250 that he was used to living on. And now he made every bit of that in the real estate income that he had. So there's other plenty of successful examples. And again, I'm interviewing some of those this month and you'll hear from him. But there's other options as well, which we'll get into, which I think are very important to at least consider. So some may say at least that I'm, I'm gaining equity in the house if I buy it. But remember, you are relying on a manipulated market to determine, the use, the, to determine this unless you are willing to run the numbers as an investor, make a solid plan and accept the risk, accept what is understood risk and what is the unknowable risk. Just like your retirement and your medical benefits as a veteran or retiree, you don't control that stream of income, nor the benefits. But because you thought it would be there, you sacrificed maybe good decisions yesterday for the promises they gave you for tomorrow. This is one of the hardest things that I came to grips with, caused a lot of cognitive dissonance for me. And my big question is how well do I think or you think the government will hold to its financial promises for you? And I, one day I promise I'll find this when just the cynical politician that's out there when they're talking about the different amendments for the Social Security Administration as they're trying to check and make sure that people will get their benefits as they're enrolling all these people. Is it even solvent? Well, they're now doing a shell game with having a trust that's set up that invests in the market. Well, still most of the politicians will just say that they'll print the money. Yes, we'll pay you what you owed. It won't be worth anything because we'll have to print it to get there. One of the things I want to go back and, and readdress real quick is the idea of the mortgage that you have being a asset versus a liability. And this will be the topic of the next Sobo podcast that I do after I do a few of the interviews with other real estate investors. And it'll get into the idea of how you can use your home equity as an asset, functionally as an asset. And in reality, it, it's a, the ability for you to marry your income, your ability to work as an asset, marrying it with the home equity in a way that number one, helps you pay down a mortgage faster, or at least pay down the debt on your house faster at the same time that allows you uh, within the margin that you have, that's what's most important, that it allows you to be able to debt consolidate a lot better. It allows you to accelerate a lot using the same snowball strategies that even Dave Ramsey talks about. No, he would not endorse the strategy that I'm talking about uh, by any stretch. But even with that strategy, you still have to understand that when you're purchasing a home, you have to ask, is it actually, if I, worst case scenario, had to sell the property or I had to rent the property, will this cash flow in a way that actually puts money in my pocket after all expenses have been covered? And are you willing to go to that extent? Are you willing to take on that much risk? So with that, we'll get into more of the solutions. I'll talk a little bit more about uh, the line of credit with the housing strategy, but I'll also tie in a little bit more about the infinite banking concept again, because I think those two strategies together are very, very, very powerful to making sure that where the bank is trying to segregate you from your money, 
you're able to then capture as much of that back into uh, your own income making potential as an asset and building your own personal bank as an asset that you get to borrow from and profit from rather than using the bank to do so and getting to a point where you no longer need a bank. And hopefully as I build the cash flow veteran out, we can help support each other. We can build private equity. We can build things that actually are supporting other veterans for a number of purposes. So again, just understand when I say these things, I am coming from a libertarian perspective that have led me down, but these are also very practical things to think about for a VA loan, for real estate investing. And honestly, with that, let's go ahead and get into the real estate investing. So tune in back for episode 13 next week, and we'll get into some of the investors I was able to get some great interviews out of. And uh, I'll see you then. With that, take it easy, Cashflow Veterans. I'll see you next time. Want to learn the history they didn't teach you in school? Check out Liberty Classroom put together by the one and only Tom Woods. He's brought along many of his colleagues to teach the politically incorrect version of history and economics that your teachers wouldn't dare teach you. Don't have time for lectures? Well, guess what? You can download the lectures directly onto your smartphone as well. My favorite so far has been the U.S. President's Best and Worst by Brian McClanahan. I found a new respect for some presidents that I've had and plenty more scorn for a lot of others. And no, I don't mean Trump. No, I don't mean Obama. Please give me a little credit for having a little bit of nuance here. Uh, the next course for me is actually going to be How Freedom Settled the West by Brad Burson. I'm really excited about that one. And guess what? It wasn't regulation. It's not government bureaucracy. It was freedom that settled the West. Uh, I don't need to move to Somalia to show you how a stateless society actually can function. There are plenty of examples in our own history. But history never stays the same. We never we're, We are people that are in space and time. And it's actually up to us to create and form the world that we want to live in. You can only do that by getting smarter every day and challenging your own assumptions. So come join thousands of other lifelong learners by signing up for Liberty Classroom. You can get there by going to cashflowveteran.com slash Liberty Classroom. That's one word, cashflowveteran.com slash Liberty Classroom. That's the episode. Thanks so much for listening. I really would appreciate your support through any of the advertising, the affiliate links I share, or you can go to cashflowveteran.com slash support and click on the $5 tip jar uh, and send a cup of coffee my way. Also, I'd love to hear from you. And you can easily do that by downloading the anchor.fm app and leave me a voice message with a comment or a question or a topic that you'd like me to cover. And I'll see what I can do with that. Take it easy.